Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey everyone, it's Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation and certified mental performance consultant. The Freshman Foundation Podcast helps young athletes be ready for every next step in the game of life. To learn about how you can be ready for your next step in the game of life, visit michaelvhuber.com. Thank you for listening to the Freshman Foundation Podcast. Welcome to the Freshman Foundation, a podcast that explores the human side of athletes and the real stories behind the glory and the grind. Our mission is to help young athletes be ready for every next step in the game of life. How is Tyler Seward creating a safe place for young athletes to discuss mental health? Have you ever felt like you're seen as a performer first and a person second? Where your worth depends on your results rather than who you truly are? In episode 60, we talked to Tyler Seward, a former athlete turned entrepreneur who is on a mission to reshape the narrative. From the highs of victory to the lows of injury, From the pressures of performance to the challenges of balancing sport with life, we're going beyond the game to uncover the real experiences of athletes and the people who guide them. Stay tuned for a journey of enlightenment, introspection, and a lot of heart. Let's build your foundation with Tyler Seward. Hey, Tyler, how's it going? I'm great. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. It's great to have you here. Um, founder of the Life Play LLC, is that correct? Yes, sir. So, so tell me how. What was the uh, inspiration or the the genesis of of founding the Life Play? So, growing up an athlete, like many kids out there, I wanted to be a professional. I wanted to play in the NBA. Uh, I played basketball ever since I was around five years old, and I played high level basketball. So, I played in like the Nike circuits always since I was in middle school. And, you know, like the goal was to get a division one scholarship. And then as I kept playing basketball and got into high school and all that, it was looking, it was looking a little slow for that, for that scholarship. And like, as the years went on in high school, uh, I really started to become, uh, less confident in my, in myself, uh, not even as a basketball player or an athlete, but just in general. And that really translated to uh, me uh, acting out or just not being myself, you know? Mm -hmm. And it came to a point where I had to actually sit down with the therapist and, and really figure out what's going on. And after I went through that whole process, I really understood that, Lots of athletes go through the same the same process and the same feelings and have always have to answer that question of who am I after they finish this sport. So that's when I really came up with the life play uh, with the with the with the help of my dad uh, with the name. You know, I just especially growing up, I always I always like to help people. And once I had to figure out who I was, um, I had to figure out what I was going to be studying in college, because regardless, I came from a nice family. I was still going to be able to go to, go to college and, mm-hmm. and have a nice career. So once I thought, thought through all that, I'm like, 
I think a therapist would be nice because like I said, I like to help people. So then that's when the life play came about. And I just want to help as many people first and then athletes as well in just the process of life. So, so at what point or how old were you when you started to kind of have those feelings or started to sort of question the future? So I would say for me, it really came my junior year. So my sophomore year, uh, when I was playing basketball, we actually went undefeated and won the state championship. So that year, um, I played, played pretty well. Um, and I would say going into that summer, actually, uh, when I wasn't playing on like the Nike circuit anymore and teams weren't really calling, calling, my, calling my name or calling my number to have me on their team, that's when I really started to form these feelings of like inadequacy and mm. feeling like I could be better. And then that led into my junior, junior year season um, where I only played about half of the season and I was dealing with injuries and um, dealing with my coach, lots of different things. And during my junior year was definitely one of the hardest years of my life. And that's when I really started to transition into a, a different way of thinking. Okay. And, and so the different way of thinking, was that, was that as a result of working with a therapist or was that sort of just a shift in your thinking on your own? So I'll say the therapist definitely helped, helped me work through that and form that different, um, those different thought patterns. Because uh, before I went to therapy, I, I was just thinking like, Without basketball, what am I going to do with my life? Things like that. And after I went to the therapist, he helped me really realize that, as I mentioned before, I come from a, a good family. Um, we're financially stable. So that without basketball, I would be fine. And also what really, what really helped me, the therapist talked about, is he told me to list like, all the things that I'm good at. And I started going through it. Like I'm creative. I'm I'm smart. I'm a hard worker, all these things. And then I'm really thinking like, without basketball, I'm going to be perfectly fine. <laughs> so then that's when I really uh, trans transitioned my thinking into as like, I'm just more, I'm more than an athlete. I'm a human mm -hmm. being with lots of, uh, lots of hobbies and lots of talent that will be shown throughout my, my next, my next years of life. Yeah. I mean, that, it comes up so often in the work that I do with athletes, you know, in that age group, the high school athlete whose identities are so tied to their, their being an athlete that everything else just gets drowned out. Right. So like that athlete piece is just so big and all these other things that are important in our lives take a back seat. And when things don't go our way, it really magnifies like the way you feel about yourself because now you're only judging yourself on your performance and not on anything else. Like, Hey, I'm a hard worker. Hey, I'm a smart guy. I'm a good friend. I'm a good son. Right. Those are all important things, but we just take them for granted or assume them away. And now everything's about me being an athlete. So yeah. it's not what you described is, is not uncommon. And it's great that you were able to, to come to that conclusion, you know, before it became a bigger problem. Right. So I'm curious. So like the, 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 going to therapy, was that your idea? Was it somebody else's idea? How did you feel about taking that leap? Because a lot of people will resist it. Yeah. So there was a time where, um, 
I I made some actions where my parents were like really questioning like like what is going on? Where did this come from? Mm-hmm. And then we just sat down and had a conversation. And in that conversation, that's where I really just broke down and told them everything, how I've been feeling for like a good amount of time. And then like through that process, uh, they were like, yeah, I think you should go to therapy. And I was always someone like, I was never against therapy, but what's crazy was I never thought I'd need therapy. So when they mentioned that I I might need therapy, I wasn't resilient uh, against it. Um, You know, I was like, sure let's let's see how it is so Mm -hmm. uh yeah i was i was never against it but like i said i just never thought that i would need it and i did need it and it was one of the best things that ever happened to me for sure yeah um well i mean i think one of the things that we can do is to be open about that process because i spent many years in therapy myself And I think, you know, before I entered therapy where I felt like I needed to, right? Like I was ready to, um, I, I would, I would have said the same thing to myself. I don't need that. Right. It's not something that I need. And like, there has to be something really wrong for me to go there. And unfortunately that's the way it typically plays out, right? You get to a place where you don't know where to turn to get the help that you need. And it's the last resort. But the reality is, is that talking to somebody before you have to, is really the best prevention of, of, right. It's a different approach, right? There's a proactive way to talk to people and open up. And I think being able to let people know, and to your credit at your age, let people know that you've done it and it's helped you is a huge asset to young people who may resist the idea that they need to talk to somebody. Definitely. And I still go to therapy here and there, especially here at FIU. We have Mm. uh, therapists that, uh, are right on campus that we can go to. Uh, so anytime I, I'm feeling like down or or in a certain mood, like before, like you said, the, the proactive. Before I even get to the point where I'm just spiraling down, I go and talk to some, talk to somebody, and it's helpful every time. Yeah, I think you raise a really interesting point, and I'm curious to get your perspective on it and your experience. So, so I know for me that I think when I entered into therapy, the one thing that I really did not have a grasp on, and I was much older than you, is I didn't really have a grasp of identifying my feelings, right? Understanding what I was feeling before it got too bad, it just would happen, and then it would be so magnified that I would break down or blow up or whatever you want to call it. Right. And it sounds like you're at a place in your life where you can kind of f- identify things that are coming on and you could cut it off by saying, Hey, I need to talk to somebody. I mean, ha- have you seen that transformation from the time you started therapy until now? Definitely. But for me, I was always someone where I- I'm very in tune with my feelings and I always like could identify my feelings. But for me, it was, really how do I manage those feelings Mm -hmm. because I always knew those feelings were there but it was like who do I talk to about these feelings because maybe I didn't trust people things like that so it was like going to therapy really helped me figure out ways of managing those feelings and forming different like I said before different thought processes and just forming like positive positive thinking Mm -hmm. because lots of times you can you can have negative negative thinking negative feelings and know it's negative but then not know where to go from there. So therapy has really just helped me manage my feelings as a whole. Yeah. I mean, it's the way, you know, therapy is a bit different from what I do because my work is really meant to be in performance only. 
but it's the same idea, right? Which is to say like you're teaching people the skills to, to do something different with their thoughts and feelings, right? To manage it proactively, to have skills and strategies to shift it when you identify it, right? And I think that that's valuable for anybody, right? You don't have to be an athlete to seek that out because on, in our own way, we're all performers, we're students, we're employees, we're athletes, whatever, but we still go through the same things. Just for some reason, I feel like with athletes, it's like more magnified, um, maybe more so than somebody who just goes through life, you know, every day. I'm curious. So did you play basketball your senior year? Yeah. So I did play basketball my senior year and it was actually like right after COVID. So it wasn't even a, a full basketball season. We played with masks on. And, um, by that point, especially the way like colleges were recruiting and stuff like that, that whole year of recruiting was just all out of whack so I like while I was playing basketball I really just wanted to focus on having fun because mm -hmm. I would say the year before I wasn't having fun playing basketball at all so my main goal was just to have fun I knew I knew college basketball probably wasn't going to come to me so it's like let me enjoy my last year and really prepare my my mind for what's what's coming next so at that point your during your senior year did you just sort of resolve yourself to the fact that you probably weren't going to play basketball in college so you could enjoy it? Um, or do you think, I mean, do you think if there would have been some sort of opportunity or offer that came to you at that point, do you think you would have taken it or changed your mind? Oh, I would have taken it for sure. Okay. <laughs> for sure I would have taken it. Okay. And I was, I was definitely still playing, like trying to impress sure. coaches, things like that. But I'll never forget when my, like, before the basketball season started, my dad said, he said, um, like, how, what will happen or how will you feel if you don't mm -hmm. get that scholarship? And then that's when it really, like, really started to, like, go through my head. Like, then I'm just going to, I'm just going to go on with life. Like, sure. Yeah. 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 But, but I think it's important, right? Because I think what you've just sort of illustrated is, there was an acceptance on your part that it wasn't in your control completely. And that if it were to, were to happen, great, right? I would have been happy. But I'm also resigned to the fact that, hey, if this doesn't happen, I'll accept it and I'll move on to something else, which I think is where the biggest hangup happens for young athletes because they've invested so much in the process of athletics up until that point. And for many athletes, the the ultimate goal and result is that they want is a scholarship. They want an offer and they want to commit to a school and they want to, you know, know that their effort paid off. And then when it doesn't happen, it creates an anxiety or as they get closer to the end of their senior year, there's this clock ticking. It comes up a lot. You know, this sort of metaphorical clock sort of ticking above their head going like, I have to get an offer. And that sort of narrows the, 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 the vision, right? Now it becomes like the walls are closing in versus, hey, I'm just going to go have fun and whatever happens, happens, right? And it's a, for a lot of young people, it's really not the easiest thing to do to say, hey, I'm going to go have a good time and enjoy myself and whatever happens, happens. I think you're probably the exception and not the rule. And it sounds like therapy and your sort of, support of your family and, and your own work that you've done allowed you to do that. So that's a credit to you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I would, I would definitely say I have to give credit to the therapist and my parents for sure, because we, we me and my parents, we definitely had some hard talks 
sure. where it's like it's like it's this is what it is like this is reality and you either accept reality or you stay depressed and stay sad over something that at this point you have no, not much control over mm-hmm. yeah i mean credit to your parents i mean i'm a parent and i know you know, I I know how, how much parents want their children to be happy and, and to get the things that they want, but, you know, probably the most important part of our job is to help our children face challenges, right? Like help them work through that. And listen, not a lot of, not every parent is equipped to do that in a constructive way. And it sounds like your parents were very supportive, but also very, you know, direct about what they thought your options were. And I think that that's, that's a great thing uh, because clearly you've moved past it into this next phase of your life where you've started a business around, you know, mental health, you know, for athletes, you've moving on to, you know, bigger and better things and hoping to go on and get a, you know, a, you know, an advanced degree in, in psychology and sports psychology. So can you talk about that? Can you talk about your goals for the future? So my goals for the future, right now, uh, I'm finishing up my undergrad. I have about a year left, and I should be graduating May 2024. And after that, uh, I should be starting graduate school for the professional counseling in psychology mm-hmm. uh, at Florida International University starting um, May or fall 2024. Okay. And then that's about two years. And then after that, I want to go into the PhD program for sports psychology. Excellent. So yeah, I've uh, I definitely have big goals, and no matter if it was basketball or whatever it is, I've always been somebody who had big goals. Yeah, it's interesting because it's it's actually been coming up a lot in these conversations I have on the podcast. the The idea that and this is like a, a a hypothesis that I've been forming over some time that athletes, former athletes you know, really find their way to entrepreneurship because it's a very similar experience, right? There's this sort of unknown goal down the road when you start a business. And I can relate because I'm going through it right now. There's this unknown goal, but you're going towards it full steam ahead with really no net in a lot of cases, right? You're just doing it. You're putting in the investment and the effort and the time because it means something to you. And you you want, you're doing it for, you know, a purpose. And if it turns into something bigger, that's great. But if it doesn't, that's okay. I'm going to keep working towards it. And I think athletes really gravitate toward that. But I think we live in a world where, you know, maybe the, the, the next step for a lot of people is I'm going to go get a job and I'm going to make money. And that a lot of time, I can speak from my own experience, like that experience was great, but it was also very limiting. And I think this entrepreneurship path for athletes is such an important thing because it really does allow them to feel that energy and purpose and, you know, mission that they had as an athlete and now translating it into something that really means something to them, which it sounds like that's exactly what you're going through. Definitely. And something for me is in the, in basketball, in the basketball world, there's lots of factors that you can't really control especially when you're on a team and you have a coach and other teammates, things like that. Mm-hmm. And just that feeling of like not being able to control every variable that that can bring lots of anxiety to people and definitely brings like anxiety to me. So my thing with like owning my own business is like whatever I, it's like the work I put in is most of the time the work that I'll get out. So it's not like I will be, 
relying on somebody higher than me or something like that, I will be, it's, it's on me. <laughs> and I kind of like that because if it's up to me, I will put in the work. I will put in whatever I need to do to make things happen. But yes, there, yes, I'm still going to have to collaborate with other people and rely on others. But uh, for the most part, I feel like I, I'm in a lot more control mm-hmm. than I would say I have been in the past. Yeah. I can relate to that. I mean, and, and I want to, I want to come back to that, but I, I did want to ask you a question before I forget. So what was it like when you left, when you graduated high school and you go to college and you're no longer a basketball player? Like, what was it like that first year of college when you were sort of without sport? Like the best way I could ask it. I felt free. I wow. Felt okay. Like, I felt like I could be anything that I want. It's like, at this point I could choose. <laughs> because coming from New Jersey and I went to high school in Pennsylvania, like the people in that area, they knew me as a basketball player. My family, they knew me as a basketball player. But as I've moved down to Miami for, for college, people don't know me as a basketball player. <laughs> so now I can create my own legacy and create my, my new brand to the people that are around me. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that was so, so freeing. And I, I love that. And I had a, a great time. Yeah, I didn't even really have to adjust, to be honest, because I was always someone like I I like to have fun. I I'm a I'm a big personality outside of my sport in general. So it wasn't it wasn't really hard for me. It was it was kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> you still play you still play any ball? I, I definitely still play basketball. I actually played about four games at the at the rec gym yesterday. <laughs> was sore and everything after, but I still love it. That's great. Yeah, I think that's important. And I think that's something that gets overlooked, which is to say, you know, there's a bigger, there's a bigger purpose a lot of times with sport that we don't really think about, but like that ability to stay active and healthy and competitive as you get older is really an important part of mental health. I can speak from my own experience, right? To be continue to have that, that part of your life, but it doesn't, it's not life and death. It's Mm-hmm. I'm going to go play. I'm going to go run for two hours. I'm going to feel good. I'm going to have that competitive spirit. I'm going to have teamwork. I'm going to have you know all those things, but then I can walk away and go do something else versus yeah. having it be, okay, I have to get up again tomorrow and do it all over again and have it be yeah. a chore or a job. Exactly. And that's what, <laughs> that's what basketball, especially as you're playing your whole life, it's like a chore, like a job. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's it's freeing to be able to go to the gym, play with some friends, and then go home and <laughs> maybe watch watch the NBA games, just relax and not have to worry about waking up the next morning and doing the same thing over and over. So yeah, I, I enjoy it. And I, but I had to get to the point of being able to just play basketball and not think about like, wow, I could have I could have played in college or right. I should have been in the NBA, stuff like that. I had to get right. past that point. So when I first came to college, I wasn't playing basketball. I wasn't. But once I once I got more comfortable in my my new skin um, and I played basketball here and there, that's when I really started to get back into it. Like, like I told you yesterday, I played four games. It's great. I haven't played four games of basketball in a long time. It's great. <laughs> It's great. I mean, I, I love that. I think it's really, really important. And I think it's something you can continue to do into adulthood and it doesn't go away. That, that, that same feeling will be with you. I think if you continue to do it, regardless of whether or not it means, means something or not. Um, 
So can you talk about some of the work that you're doing? I mean, obviously I'm familiar because I, I mean, you know, just like a lot of things nowadays, you know, you find people on social media and you, you follow what they're doing and, and I've followed your work and I, you know, I think it's great, you know, so can you just talk about like what the life play is doing? What, you know, what's your, what's, what's happening out there? So right now in the beginning stages of the life play, uh, we're mostly on all the social media, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. And at this point, like, I just want to open up the conversation around mental health, specifically mental health in sports. Mm -hmm. So right now we have a podcast where we bring on athletes. Uh, we've had one mental performance consultant. I'd love to have you on if, All right. if I can get if I can get my Zencaster working. I'd love to have you on too. <laughs> but um, yeah, right now we have the podcast just to open up the conversation and allow the conversation to be um, not as not a scary conversation. Yeah, but just reality and also to take that negative stigma away from mental health. That's the main goal right now as I don't have my, like the private practice isn't running yet. I'm just in the beginning stages. And my, my whole thing is just to open up that conversation because it's so beneficial. And especially when I repost things on my, my own personal Instagram, things like that, and, and like regular people see it, not even athletes or anything. It just, it takes away that anxiety of talking about mm -hmm. these real life feelings and these real life situations that people have. But don't want to really talk about it. So yep. yeah, I just want to, um, there's a saying, you know, you, you can, you can shove things down, down people's throats. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like, the more people see things, the, the less it, the less it negatively, well, the less they have a negative picture of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's like, so it's like saying, Saying you're shoving it down their throat, that might sound pretty bad, but, <laughs> but like that's pretty much what you're doing. It's like the more people see things, the more they get used to it. So that's, that's all I'm doing. And I think, so, so, you know, this is probably going to sound a bit self-serving as somebody who's actually in the process of recording a podcast, but I find that the podcast format is a really great way to bring out those stories where it's not like, hey, I'm posting a one-way video clip or um, I'm posting up a graphic and I'm, I'm telling you my opinion about something. It's a conversation between two people, one of whom is telling their story about this is what I went through, right? And to me, that's the most powerful form of learning. And what I would say to you as somebody who's much your senior, having the benefit of doing this podcast and going through this exercise is really going to inform your work in private practice down the road. It does for me now in real time where I go and I talk to people, they're giving me a totally different perspective in a lot of different areas, whether it's a coach, an athlete, a mental performance expert, a parenting coach, whoever, I'm learning from them rather than just relying on the books, right? Like textbooks mm -hmm. and research articles, which is all the things I, I, I look at too, because that's part of my practice, right? I have to know the evidence. I have to know what's out there. I need to know that there is a theory behind something that I'm positing, but at, at the at the same time, there needs to be a story component to it. And you're doing that already, right? And I think it's huge because now you're bringing on people to talk about themselves. And it's not, hey, I want, I think you should do this. It's, hey, tell me about what you did, right? It's from Definitely. a place of action rather than a place of sort of prescription. See, and, and that's the interesting thing about life 
everybody has a story. No matter what walk of life you came from, every single person has a story. Like I bring on college athletes who have probably been the best in their sport from their hometowns. And when they get to college, they're, they're probably still one of the best. But people only see the athlete. They don't see the actual person behind the athlete. So when I bring them into my podcast, sit down and have that conversation, I really want to show the human being in mm-hmm. these people yes. because that gets overlooked as an athlete. And it's uh, like once people are finished playing their sport or finished practice, they go home and they're a regular human being just like everyone else. Yeah. So I, I, that actually raises a really interesting point or interesting topic for me. And, and, and I'm going to look for your perspective here on this because I think one of the things that I see in my work with athletes is that coaches are looking at their, their players as athletes first and people second. Now I'm not saying that's universal because I don't think that's true, but I think that ends up being the source of a lot of anxiety and identity crises because it's like, they're not seeing me for all that I am. All they care about is the way that I perform on the court. I mean, as somebody who's not that far removed from sport, you know, you're a pretty young guy. Like, what's your thought on that? Well, me personally, like, that was my experience in high school. I felt as though I was just looked at as an athlete and uh, people liking me was based on how well I did on the basketball court, things mm-hmm. like that. And then my junior year when I wasn't playing that good, I was dealing with injuries. People just, I felt as though people didn't care about me anymore. And it's like that with so many people. Uh, I had JC Hinton, who's a, a swimmer at the University of Miami on my podcast. And she talked about how she's like, she feels like she's just like a mascot of, of the school. And uh, everybody's just looking at her, looking at her times, things like that. I also had a soccer player named uh, Matias Lavano. Um, and he was talking about the differences between soccer in America and back back where he's from in France he said Mm -hmm. in America everything is just based on your performance um and less on even how even how much you get better things like that it's just once it's time to play you better perform but he said back home in France uh a lot a lot of lots of emphasis was put on getting better and how are you things like that so yeah it's definitely something that that goes on uh, in every sport at every level. And uh, yeah, so I've, I've dealt with that personally for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I think it's a really, really challenging subject because I kind of, I kind of want to go back to what you were talking about before when you were sort of describing why you like entrepreneurship, which is you were saying, you know, I feel like I have more control, right? Which I think is true, right? When you play for a coach, coach has a lot of control, right? they dictate a lot of the outcomes, right? Do I get on the floor? Do I not get on the floor? Where do I play? How many minutes? All those things, right? And so that can lead to a sense of discomfort and anxiety potentially. And so one of the things I, I, I try to teach to the, the athletes that I work with is, hey, I don't think it's right that you feel like your coach is looking at you as, a, as an athlete first and a person second. I don't think that's right. But that's also real life, right? That's the reality of it. So can you one, put yourself into your coach's shoes? Meaning a lot of these people get paid to win games, right? And so that's sort of their primary focus Two, like, these are your feelings and these are your thoughts. Like you've got to be responsible for them in the sense that 
you may not like what's going on around you, but do you have the tools to, to, to make peace with that or to manage them? Even if the things that are going on around you aren't right or just, or, you know, justified. And I think that that is a skill that a lot of young people could do better at learning, which is sort of, you know, that advocacy, self-advocacy, right? So like, I, I don't know what you think about that, but I, I kind of wanted to put it to you because you're, you're kind of in it. Yeah. So that, that's exactly what was going on with me in high school, right? Um, I knew things were unjust. I knew things could have played out in different ways, but I didn't have the tools in my toolbox to yeah. really manage those emotions and not allow it to affect me. So it did completely affect me. And going back to what you mentioned about the coaches and like you said, they get paid to win games. And so I, I completely respect it. And I know that coaches need to do what they need to do to get the most out of the team, things like that. But that's why I would love for all colleges, all professional teams, things like that to have a sports psychologist on the staff to help mm -hmm. the players because the coaches aren't therapists. The coaches aren't mental performance consultants. They don't, they don't focus on that part of the, the player. So mm -hmm. that's why I feel like it's definitely important. And I was just speaking about this on my podcast. I'd love for my company to consult with teams and, and uh, teams and organizations and have a sports psychologist on the staff of mm -hmm. these teams to really help the players because it'll, it'll be, be beneficial for the players and the team as a whole. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's changing. You know, I think it depends on the sport, but I do think it's changing. I mean, I do think it's still underserved. It's, actually, I think it's underserved at the college level, even more so than at the pro level. I think a lot of these colleges that are really, really high, uh, uh, profile, high budget, you know, power five programs have three, four, 500 student athletes, many of whom are on scholarship, many of whom are now making money, many of whom are, you know, under extreme pressure and they have one sports psychology professional yeah. for 500 yeah. kids. And it's like, you know, there's just this lack of resource. And I do think there's room for that. But the other thing I talk a lot about is, is, you know, the, this idea that we as mental performance professionals, we can also be teaching the coaches in terms of this is, these are the things that you should know because you have, they have more exposure to the players than, than we'll ever have. Right. Like I might see a guy once a week or I might be out on the field once a week or whatever watching from afar, but those coaches are with them all the time. Do they understand what, you know, you know, uh, uh, you know, proper motivation is, do they understand how to ask good questions? Do they understand, you know, all these different nuances of, what makes a person tick so that they're not necessarily expert, but they can identify or they can manage and then they can refer back to people like us. And I think it's just going to continue to evolve. And I think the work, what's encouraging for me, and I, this is my second career, my second, you know, I'm, I started in sports psychology in my forties. I think what's really encouraging for me is there's more and more young people coming into the field with this mission of, I want to change things. I want it to be better. I want to use my experience as an athlete to help other athletes. I think that is what's going to drive this forward is this idea that we're really invested in the betterment of people's lives in the sporting context. It's a really cool thing. And you know, you're, you're, you're just starting out on that journey and you're way ahead of where I am. And, <laughs> you know, I think it's really, really impressive. 
Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I'm glad you mentioned that about the coaches because that's something that I would love to love to do um, in the near future. Uh, have seminars, talking to coaches, um, maybe have a course, different things just to mm-hmm. teach coaches these techniques and the things to, to look for. And this whole conversation right here about coaches and, and athletes, it brings me back to a class that I'm actually currently in, okay. uh, which is uh, IO psychology, like industrial organizational psychology. Mm-hmm. Where it's like you can have you can use the industrial psychology part of it and look at your players as workers and just try to get them to like do the do the best work and do the most work, but that neglects the the organizational uh, psychology part of it. Where these people aren't robots. These people have feelings. These people mm-hmm. have families. These people have life outside of work, outside of their sport. So. You need to incorporate both sides of that. You can't just uh, neglect the human being and just expect people to be motivated to do to do more work or to to be better. Yeah, I I think motivation is the one the one subject, the one topic where we could get a lot of bang for our buck in terms of educating not only coaches but parents as well. And what I mean by that is if they understand that the most effective forms of motivation are are intrinsic but we can create the conditions for that intrinsic motivation now we could start to change the way we behave towards people so that we're getting the most out of them but we're doing it in a way where they feel good about themselves right like it was their idea and that they feel mm-hmm. like they're contributing versus this external motivation of like well if you do all these things and you, we hang this carrot, you're going to go get it, which is ultimately going to lead to burnout if they don't get it, right? Like I'm oversimplifying. Mm-hmm. But I think teaching people about what proper motivation looks like theoretically and then in practice is really a way that we can get a lot of value in terms of educating the people who are responsible for developing young athletes, young professionals, whatever, because it's it's going to make those people feel good, but they're also going to want to do more to help the organization. Definitely. And that that uh, reminds me of when I was in high school, where I had coaches that wanted me to do certain things or, or play a certain way. And it's like, what is actually motivating me to do that? Mm-hmm. The way you speak to me, your connotation, your your mm-hmm. verbiage, that doesn't motivate me that completely demotivates me. Correct. So it's like, how can you expect me to want to do certain things when there's nothing motivating about, about our, our dialogue at all. Yeah. And I think that, and and that's, that's a great example. And that's exactly my point, which is to say what ends up happening. I think a lot is coaches coach the way they were coached. Right. And they said, well, if this worked on me, it's going to work on Tyler or Mike. And that's not true. And we have information now to impart to them, to educate them to say, no, if you do it a different way, you're going to get more out of that person I think what makes them uncomfortable is it takes back some of the control because now you're, when you create the conditions for intrinsic motivation, you've got to sort of step back and let that person figure it out, which means you might not get the result that you want as quickly as possible. So it's easier for me to just go in there and try to fix something or yell at them or whatever to get what I want quicker, but you're creating more problems for the long term. And I think a lot of coaches struggle with that that investment in the person, if I invest in the person, yeah, maybe I don't get the results I want right away, but by the end of a season, I'm going to get everything that I want because now they trust me. 
and they've let me exactly. figure it out and we have a relationship and like, it's so complex and it's a subject that I love talking about, but I don't want to go down the rabbit hole too much because we only have a few more minutes, but like, I, I just think it's so, so important. And it's interesting to see it from different perspectives. Generationally, you and I are very different ages. Um, you know, you know, you're doing something, you're in school, I'm pr- practicing, but at the same time, it's like, we're on the same page here, understanding like this is the way forward. And I think it's great that athletes have access to this information, meaning like listening to podcasts like yours, listening to podcasts like mine. I think it's important also to give more access or more access to the people who are making those choices or the adults in the room, if you want to call it that. So, you know, hopefully we're, 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 we're doing that. (laughs) We're doing that work together. Um, I I think we are for sure. And that's the, that's the great thing about social media. Social media has lots of garbage, lots of negative components to it, but social media also has podcasts like ours Mm -hmm. and lots of information for you to just learn, learn about yourself, learn about uh, sports psychology, just learn about Mm -hmm. lots of beneficial things to your life. And without social media, like back in the day, that's why it was so hard to talk about these things because the people like us who actually like knew how beneficial um, like your mental well-being is and things like that, we didn't have that big of a platform to express ourselves and teach other people these things. So yeah, that's why I love social media, especially YouTube, and it just keeps getting bigger and better. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I think, it, and I agree, right? Because it's such a big part of my business. I mean, you have to be in that you have to play in that space, but I think you make a really good point. And I think social media gets a bad rap from a lot of people because they think they just think it to be a cesspool where people are just throwing stuff out there. But if you are really, really intentional about wanting to learn and to be informed, you can find really good information and good resources out there, but you have to be intentional about it. And I think for us as content creators, as much as professionals, you know, I think if we continue to put out good content, it may not be found overnight, but eventually someone will get to it and say, hey, this is really, really valuable. And I think if you're mission driven, which I know you are, then that's really all you can ask for is people who are interested in what you're doing and find it valuable and really want to know more and be a part of it, which is something that it seems like you're creating. So I, I give you all the credit in the world for that. Thank you. I really appreciate that every time. Every time yeah. I appreciate hearing that. Because <laughs> Hearing you say that and just people supporting uh, yeah. like my movement, your movement in general, it it, it motivates me to keep mm-hmm. going. <laughs> it motivates me to, to go even harder. Um, and going back to what you just said about, oh, I forgot. I forgot the point that I was just about to make. Anyway. Happens to me all the time, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all right. It it, well, I always say if if it's if it was that important, it would come back to me. So hopefully we get it. Um, so I, I guess I want to ask you, I'm curious because you were talking about a couple of the guests and giving examples of a couple of the guests. Is it is it mainly student athletes who are on the podcast at this point? Yeah, so main, mainly student athletes from uh, FIU, Florida International University, where I go, and then also University of Miami. Um, but I would love to get professionals on the podcast as okay. soon as possible. But yeah, starting with the college athletes, I feel like is a, is a great base because it's kind of in the middle. It's not high school, but then it's not professionals. And um, these people are still 
getting paid <laughs> for sure with these NIL deals and things mm-hmm. like that and are under immense amounts of pressure yes. like they are professional athletes. Yes. So speaking with them as they're my peers with the same age, it's just a, a perfect, perfect dialogue and um, just a perfect, perfect way to start the conversation of mental health and sports. And these people that I have on the podcast, I even see them outside of the podcast. So it's like, I'll see them out at, at, out at an event yeah. or out, out at different places. So that's why the, the college, the college athletes, it's, it's the perfect start for me. Yeah. Uh, and if I could give you a piece of advice, I would just say, trust your instincts and be consistent and it'll continue to grow and it'll build and you'll get everything you want out of it, whether it's, you know, a business, you know, a a profitable business or just the ability to build relationships and help people. And it could be both. It could be all those things. And that's, that's the beauty of entrepreneurship. So I guess as we wrap up, you know, since you're so focused on the student athlete, um, the last question I always ask is, if you could give one piece of advice to any, any student athlete who's listening, what would be the one thing that you would share with them right now? I would say, don't forget what makes you happy outside of your sport. Because so many of us athletes, we get so wrapped up in our sport, we forget all the little things in our life that we enjoy. The things that we did when we were younger that made us happy. Small things like drawing. I had uh, I had someone named Caleb on my podcast who loved singing growing up. He sung in the church. He even sung the national anthem at March Madness because the University of Miami was just in the Final Four. He sung the national anthem there. So even though he's a track athlete, he still remembers his passion for singing. And that's something that I would just tell all athletes to not forget. That's great. That's a perfect way to end. Tyler, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It was great to finally get to speak with you and hear more about your journey. And uh, I'll definitely be following along with you. And uh, I wish you all the best going forward. Thank you for having me. I appreciate this conversation. And I hope you're the best as well. Thank you. So what was your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Tyler Seward? My biggest takeaway is that the identity of an individual extends far beyond their athletic prowess. Athletes are multifaceted beings capable of much more than just their sports-related accomplishments. The pressure to perform and the eventual inevitability of retirement can bring about an emotional turmoil that is often hard to navigate. The antidote, it appears, is to seek fulfillment in diverse pursuits beyond the athletic field. I urge budding athletes to reflect on their passions outside the sporting arena and dedicate time and energy towards nurturing those interests. Having such external interests not only enriches your life presently, but also cultivates a groundwork for meaning and contentment in your life beyond sports. I want to thank Tyler for his kind generosity and the wisdom he shared with the Freshman Foundation community. You can learn more about the Life Play by visiting their Instagram page and their YouTube channel. To learn how you can be ready for your next step in the game of life, visit michaelvhuber.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back soon for episode 61. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. 
is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe, give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks, ready to get better.